0: Hey, this is Todd coming to you from the uh, Sports Library and Spirituality in Verona, Wisconsin, and I just want to say thank you to to Anchor and Spotify for the uh, the chance to be the chance to have a podcast, and I would like to also say thank you to the listeners too. Thank you. I'm Todd, come, coming to you from the uh, Sports and Spiritual Library here in Verona, Wisconsin, in my apartment. And I got my co producer right alongside me, the Gata. And I'm going to be doing the uh, Packers' Pride. Um, Green, Bay, Green Bay Grades Share Their Favorite Memories. And this book is from 2013, the copyright date. And it's wrote by uh, Leroy Butler with Rob Reichel, fourth by Willie Davis and Eddie Lee Ivory is the first one that I'm um, first guy on the on the list. It's under the uh, the playmakers uh, section too. Not not every Green Bay Packer has happy stories to tell from their playing days. And it supports. A sport packed with violence, injury, and temptation. There's a greater chance of things bad than good. Eddie Lee Ivory is a perfect example of that. Ivory, a running back who the Packers selected in the first round in 1979, tore his ACL twice. He developed addictions to drugs and alcohol, but Ivory turned his life around after football and today. Ivory is back as an assistant football coach in his hometown of Thompson, Georgia. While Ivory's playing days weren't what he hoped for. His story appears to have a happy ending. "I'm I'm blessed. Absolutely, Ivory said. I'm clean. I'm happy. I have no complaints. The balance, stability, and steadiness Ivory possesses today are things he didn't have during his days in Green Bay. When the Packers took Ivory the 15th overall pick in 1979, they thought they had the franchise back for the next decade. Instead, a combination of injuries and own addiction stymied what had all the makings of a tremendous career. In his first game ever with the Packers, Ivory tore his a- left ACL against Chicago at Soldier Field. The most infuriating thing about the play was Ivory wasn't even touched. Instead he was t- cutting back against the grain on what appeared to what he would be a 67 yard touchdown run. I'd played my entire college days on turf, I reset, and nothing bad happened. And then to do that to my knee on grass, man. I rebattled back and led the Packers in rushing with 831 yards in 1980. But the following season, Ivory experienced deja vu of the worst kind, when he again tore up his left knee. For the second time in three seasons, the play happened in Green Bay. season opener, it happened against the Chicago Bears, and it happened at Soldier Field. I look back at my career and I think it could have been different if it wasn't for those injuries, Ivory said. But I also know I should have worked harder in the off-season. I, I took way too much time off, and in that elite league, you can't do that. You know, and that's the thing about the uh, Soldier Field back then is, you know, their turf suck too, though. That that artificial turf they had, I think they almost think it's grass. This, I think it's like natural grasses. They thought I think it is here, but it, it was artificial turf back then. And you know the thing that was, you know, it, it was so What it came down to was Alice was cheap. And he wanted he wanted to uh, nickel and dime everything, you know, and it was like Mike Dicka said. He's you know, when he was in a contract hole all with him. He said that. Hellas threw through freaking pennies or through nickels, around like their manhole covers, and that's what he tried to do. He tried to skimp on the turf too, and he screwed up a lot of players with their knees, and Eddie Leavvy is one of them. But yeah, it's it comes down to training and stuff like that. But it's still it's just on a on a field like that, on a on that. Crappy, freaking artificial turf. That's what happened, you know. And, and now they've gotten, gotten away from the artificial turf crap and gone to uh sport turf. But I still, don't, I'm still not big on that stuff either. But anyways, looks like a NASCAR race is all the freaking rubber flying up in the air. I look back at my career and think it could have been different if it wasn't for those injuries. But I also know I should have worked harder in the off season. I took way too much time off. In an Adelaide elite league, you can't do that. Ivory did go on to lead the Packers in rushing in both strike-shortened 1982 seasons with 453 yards and 1985 636 yards, and is currently 12th on the Packers' all-time rushing list. But he was struggling with his addictions too, something that caused him to miss the final eight games of the 83 season and nearly ended his Green Bay career. But Ivory credits then coach Bart Starr for helping him through his problems, even though it wound up being temporary. I was in big time denial, Ivory said, but Bart was like a father figure to me. He called me in his office one day and I couldn't lie to him. I cried in his arms like he was my dad and he hugged me, and he allowed me to take the time I needed to get my life in order. The Packers sent Ivory to Hazelman Foundation in Minnesota for a 28-day drug treatment program. Back in Green Bay, Star was fired following the eight, eight 8-8 season to replace with Forrest Gregg, and when Ivory returned, he was sure his days as a Packer were about to end. When Bart left, I was sure my career with the Packers was over, Ivory said. Two knee surgeries, drug problems, I figured my days were numbered. But with Forrest, it wasn't about that You were what you had done. It was what you could do for me, and he gave me a chance. Ivory played well for Craig. He led the Packers with six rushing touchdowns in 1984. He led Green Bay with 636 rushing yards in 1985. Caught 31 passes for 385 yards in 1986. Ivory was released after the season and retired in 1987. Without football, Ivory's battle with drugs and alcohol only intensified. Ivory tried himself getting himself clean and sober on three occasions by entering recovery centers, but each time the effects were short term. Addictions destroyed his marriage, harmed other relationships, left him downright miserable. So in the fall of 1998, Ivory knew he could really know only had two options. So in the fall of 1998, Ivory knew he really only had two options. It was either beat this thing or go six feet under, Ivory said. And I wasn't ready to go six feet under. So For the first time in Ivory's life, he seriously committed to getting better. Instead of the 30-day programs he previously took part in, he spent 14 months at Oakhurst Oakhurst Recovery Center in Decatur, Georgia. When it was finished, Ivory felt like a new man. One with a new lease on life. One day, one ready to make the most of his second chance. Today, he's doing exactly that. Ivory worked for eight years as an assistant strength and conditioning coach at his alma mater, Georgia Tech. He remarried and had a daughter. He turned his life around. I always felt without drugs and alcohol, you couldn't have a good time, Ivory said. But just being around young kids and young people has kept me young and doing what I'm doing. Doesn't feel like work anymore. One of the things I always had a passion for was sports and now it's my job too. Ivory has all gotten Ivory has also gotten out in the community and shared his story. It's certainly not the Story Packer Nation home for what Green Bay drafts at Ivory. But in the end of the day, Ivory's fairy tale has had a happy ending. The one thing I try and share with them is there is going to be a lot of peer pressure, Ivory said. But you don't have to do what are but you don't have to do what others are doing. Three things can happen when you get involved with drugs and alcohol, jails and institutions and death. And not necessarily in that order. If I can help one person, then going out and speaking is worth it. All right. Well, I remember that and like I said I talked to said about the uh artificial turf crap back then, you know and in that era it, it, it the turf bugaboo got a lot of folks, got a lot of knees I should say. And It's unfortunate that was going on back then, but you know, it's it always comes down to the uh for the owners, it always comes down to saving money, and that was why people get so down on them, and that's why the Players Association has come across and been a, you know, back then was was having problems with the uh, getting a contract, getting a labor a labor relations contract on with uh, with them back then because of the uh, injuries. Because they needed fair, they needed better playing conditions, and that's one of the things they had. They needed to get done, and that's why you don't see grass. That's why you don't see that crap anymore. Of course, you're gonna see that crap is just like apartment complex like this. <laughs> and uh, anyways, Greg Jennings is up next here, and he is a. Uh, he's on page 75 here, so. Greg Jennings was a highlight reel waiting to happen during his seven years at Green Bay. Jennings caught Brett Farr's 421st career touchdown, which helped Far break Dan Marino's record of 420. Jennings had an 82-yard TD reception from Favre during a memorable overtime win in Denver in 2007. Jennings played in two, super, in two Pro Bowls, and he's just one of five receivers in team history with three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons, 2008-2010. to But when Packer Nation remembers Jennings, it will be likely be for the heroics in the 45th Super Bowl. Jennings caught a pair of touchdowns, becoming just the 15th player in league history to record multiple TD catches in a Super Bowl, and Jennings' play, biggest play was arguably a 31-yard reception from quarterback Aaron Rodgers with the Packers clinging, clinging to a 28-25 lead late in the fourth quarter. Rodgers won the MVP that day as the Packers defeated Pittsburgh 31-25. But Green Bay would never have claimed his third NFL title 13th NFL title without the performance of Jennings when you're humble when you're humble God gives you favor with men and he'll raise you up Jennings said the night the Packers became a Super Bowl champs He definitely raised this team up we took full advantage of this game and this opportunity we overcame some adversity even within even when in the game it kind of defines our season we are a team with a certain dynamic that a lot of teams don't have. What separated us from the other 31 teams was that dynamic. And that, will to overcome adversity. Jennings was a huge reason the Packers overcame countless, countless obstacles and became NFL champions during that surprising season. Green Bay was devastated by injury throughout the 2010 campaign, but rallied late in the regular season to reach the postseason. The Packers followed the upset road wins over Philadelphia and Atlanta then toppled host Chicago in the NFC Championship game. Now in the 45th Super Bowl, quarterback Aaron Rodgers was red hot and Jennings was a big reason why. Late in the first half, Packers held a 14-3 lead when Rodgers and Jennings hooked up and made music. On a first and 10 for the Pittsburgh's 21, Packers lined up four wide receivers. The Steelers rushed four and dropped seven. Jennings lined up in the left slot and ran a deep seam route. Jennings got behind linebacker James Barrier and in front of safety Ryan Clark. Rodger, but Rogers' window was small and his pass had to be perfect, and it was. Rogers delivered a dart that Clark missed by inches. Jennings took a wicked shot from safety Troy Polamalala. I'm sorry, let me say it again Troy Polamalala. I, it's not there. All right. Anyways, but well, he was already in the end zone. I usually don't have a problem with that and I cannot believe it. Anyways, with just one, with just more than two minutes remaining in the first half, the Packers had surged to a 21-3 lead. It was like they were a hair faster than we were all night, Clark said. Jennings certainly seemed to be to have another gear that night. Early in the fourth quarter, the Green Bay's lead had been trimmed to 21-17. The Packers drove to Pittsburgh's 8-yard line. And on second and goal, they employed an empty backfield. After the ball was snapped, Rodgers quickly clicked left. Rodgers had no intentions of ever, going, of ever going left, mind you. He was simply trying to get Polamalu the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year, to drift that way. It was a combination of a 60-minute battle that Rodgers waged and won with Paul Amalu. He's a guy that you have to be aware of. He's a guy that you have to be aware of him, where he's at all times, Rodgers said of Paul Amalu. He's a great player, had a great season, and guys have to respect where my eyes are looking, so it was important for me to use good eye control on the field and not stare down at anybody because he can cover, well, he can cover a lot of ground quickly. Rogers was sibling, subliming on this play. Palomao watched Rogers' eyes and cheated back to the left, which allowed Jennings to come free in the right corner. Rodgers lofted the perfect ball and run Jennings' D.D. crab gave Green Bay a 28-17 lead. It was a corner route, Jennings said. I had a corner route the entire time, and they dropped me and let me run free the play before. They dropped me on another corner route, and we came back to it and scored on that play. The Packers weren't out of the woods yet. Pittsburgh closed with the 20 to 25, and after Green Bay started on its own 25, quickly faced quickly faced a third and 10. The Steelers rushed just three, which meant Rodgers would have to be razor sharp to beat the eight-man coverage in the back. Jennings worked from his left slot, ran from another seam route across against the Steelers' number one running cornerback Ike Taylor. The ball was out of Rogers' hand in 2.8 seconds. He had perhaps a 12 inch window to squeeze the ball into. He did. It was arguably the throw of Rogers' life, one that went for 31 yards and kept the Steelers' offense grounded. It seemed like it brushed him off the tip of Ike's, Ike Taylor's glove, Jennings said, but it just got over the top enough where I could make a Play on it. That play helped the Packers run additional clock and eventually add a field goal that gave them a 31-25 lead. And when Green Bay's defense held, the Packers were Super Bowl champions again. It feels awesome, Jennings said that night. Awesome game. Jennings played just two more injury-plagued seasons in Green Bay. Then he signed a free-agent contract with the Bitter rival minnesota after the 2012 season he wasn't the only one to go that direction a couple other people were too and we know who they are especially uh the kicker brett long (laughs) or kicker ryan longwell then there's a certain quarterback that uh had went to the jets but then he went to minnesota there's a certain Aaron Rodgers' guy might be going to the Jets now, too. So, anyways, they will take care of that and the offices, and they'll keep playing football, that's for sure. But, but, the Packers got seven highly productive seasons from Jennings and one memorable night in the 45th Super Bowl. I'll definitely be in touch with these with these guys throughout my career, Jennings said before leaving Green Bay. That's the one thing that you take away from it. Everything else just kind of falls into the wayside of it, which is unfortunate. But you build relationships, long-standing relationships, and you establish them for after football. You know, it's funny, I'm thinking about the the Minnesota Green Bay thing. I don't there's quite a few Packers that have gone out to play for Minnesota and it's like, you know, they, they leave, become free agents. I think Darren Sharper was one too, went up there. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, it's, it was, it was, it's just kind of those things that you can't figure out why, what they, what they see in Minnesota. They don't go play for the Bears. they should like going to play for, it's should like, going to play for Minnesota, though. I don't know why, after they mad or what, but they got something to prove. But, anyways, the, uh, the guy that I remember that, uh, you know, he went up there too to play for him was, uh, Carol Dale. I you know he made a big deal back then. It wasn't a big free agent contract, but, you know, that's where he went. He went up, he played a couple of years with Minnesota. And, um, I can remember another guy too that did the exact opposite, Dave Osborne. And uh, 1976, he was picked up off waivers. With the, there's one more guy too that I'm thinking of too that, uh, that had a huge impact, and it's Gilbert Brown. Gilbert Brown was picked by the uh, by the Vikings. I think it was a sixth round pick or something like that. But they cut him, in the uh, it was a pretty preseason and the Packers picked him up. He was out of Kansas. And the Packers picked him up and uh I think it was ninety-four, I believe it was nineteen ninety-four season. But man, nice pickup. <laughs> he sure was he's a beast. And um so, anyways, we're gonna go on to Gary Knaflik. And when Knaflik, Gary Knapplick arrived in Green Bay in 1954. He had a terrible stuttering problem, and sometimes I can understand that, <laughs> as I do sometimes. Completing a full sentence took what felt like a fortnight to Knapplick, and writers were brutal, often referring to him as "Kakakakakaplick" in their stories. It's surprising that a man had, had such hard time speaking eventually took the path that he did. From 1954 to 1962, Canapleck was a standout wide receiver and later a tight end for the Packers. Then in 1964, Canapleck was Vince Lombardi's personal choice to be the stadium's public address announcer. Canapleck held that position from 50 from 64 to 2004. Giving him 50 years of service for the organization. It was a lot of fun, Like said. The seasons had just started getting too long. I have a winter home near Orlando, and that was, I wasn't getting used as much as I wanted, but it was great to be a part of it for so long. Yeah, that's a, uh, he was a tremendous, tremendous man, and um, I never knew he was the, I never knew he even played for the Packers, I decided, I didn't know about that back then, because he had been on some teams that weren't so good, and at the end, his teams were, the teams were good that he was on, but, if it weren't for a bad hamstring history, Knapplech, probably would never have become a member of the Packers. The rival Chicago Cardinals made Knaflik the second wide receiver taken in the 1954 draft when he suffered a nasty hamstring injury that year in a postseason All-Star game. The Cardinals released him. The Packers were more than happy to claim Knaflik, and by 1955, he was one of Green Bay's starting wide receivers. At 6'4", 220 pounds with a 10-3 second, second speed and then 100-yard dash, Knaflik had a fantastic combination of size and speed, and enjoyed some terrific moments in Green Bay. 1955, Canapleic led the Packers with 8 touchdown receptions, including a thriller in a season opening 20-17 victory over Detroit. On the game's final play, Canapleic ran a post down in the middle, and quarterback Tobin Rote delivered a strike for a 28-yard touchdown pass that remains among the most dramatic plays in franchise history. Afterward, Knaflick was carried off the field. I'm not about tooting my own horn, Knaflick said, but I was carried off the field that day, and as far as I've been told, that's never happened to another player. Coaches have been carried off, but apparently I'm the only Green Bay Packer player that's ever happened to. Knaflick is only an important part of Packer history due to this little bit of trivia. When the Packers closed Old City Stadium on November 18, 1956, Kenaflik caught the final touchdown in a 17-16 loss to the San Francisco 49ers. When the Packers moved across town to the new City Stadium, which was later renamed Lambeau Field the following year, Kenaflic caught the first touchdown pass there. But Ken Affleck was much more than a trivia answer. He developed into one of the Packers' most dynamic receiving threats, and he was also making a lot of noise off the field. Ken Affleck worked hard to overcome his stuttering and became the first Packer player to host a television show. Along with Luke Carpenter and later Bart Starr, Ken Affleck hosted a weekly show called Packerama. Later, he was in a movie called Palm Springs Weekend that, according to Knapleck, still plays on Late, Late, Late Show, usually after King Kong or something like that. Knapleck was an extremely successful businessman building a company called Coleman School Supply before merging it with Valley School Supply, a company owned by former Packers, Willie Davis, Bob Skorowski, Sk- 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 and Ron Kostelnik in 1974. Kenaflik later became the president of a commercial furniture company called Interplan. As successful as Knaflik's off-the-field career was, the on-the-field losing took a toll early in his career. Kenaflik played four years under Lyle Blackburn who Knappoli call a very good coach who didn't get along with the executive. He didn't get along with the executive committee. I think he would have won if they would have allowed him to go along. But when the Packers compiled just a 17-31 and record in Blackburn's time, he was dismissed. The Packers made the enormous mistake of promoting Ray Scooter McLean, who went One ten and one in one's ear as a head coach. Oh man, Janethlake size when McLean's name is brought up. Scooter would play poker with the players the night before the game. And what was worse is he wasn't even good at it. Max McGee would just take him to the cleaners. When Lombardi arrived in nineteen fifty nine, he cleaned things up in a big way by 1961, the Packers were NFL champions. I had seen, I had been on some terrible teams, Knapplech said. We definitely needed someone like him. We hadn't even been in the playoff on much less play in it, playing for the championships. Lombardi moved Knapplech to tight end in 1959, and Knapplech started there two years before Ron Kramer beat him out in 1961. Through it all, Knaplech's relationship with Lombardi was always uneasy. I was definitely one of, the, one of his whipping boys, Knaplech said. He screamed at me constantly. I didn't like the guy and physically he frightened me. But I'll take everything he gave me. I wish I had another five years with him because he made me a much better player. The relationship between Lombardi and Knaflik ended, at least temporarily, following the Packers' 1962 championship. Lombardi asked Knaflik to return as a player coach, Tudor Green Bay's young tight end Marv Fleming. Knaflik asked Lombardi to guarantee him he'd play in three games, which would qualify as a full season, giving Knaflik ten years in the league and the right to play and the right to collect a pension when Lombardi bought Canapoli walked and played his final season with San Francisco. Coincidentally the Packers closed out the 1963 season at San Francisco and Lombardi allowed Canapoli to play home with the team because he still maintained a residence in Green Bay. On the flight, Lombardi asked Knaflik if he'd be a a Packers public address announcer the the following year. Knaflik wound up doing it for four decades. Of all the players I've seen pass through, Brett is by far the best, Knaflik said. I think he's one of the top five players to ever play the game. I still blame Holmgren for the one Super Bowl they lost. That still bothers me. But not much else in five-decade run when the organization has been a abo- has been a bother. In fact, it's been just the opposite. What a blast! He said, "What an absolute blast!" Alrighty. Well, that's that. And um, you know, what I just want to say is that. Good stuff there. And I do have to say this, too. That if nobody else has told you that they loved you today, I do. And with that is with the power of love. And I thank each and every one of you for listening. Thanks. It's Todd uh, coming to you. To... It's Todd from the, uh, from the podcast. And I'm just asking for to give us a five-star review and to uh, hopefully you like this podcast because I hope you give us a five-star review but also uh if you could give us a five-star on the Twitter too we're on Twitter we're on a uh, WordPress so if you could give us good reviews on that we would really really appreciate it thanks